This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. What I have on my heart to to speak about for the next uh, several weeks is the glory of the Lord. Now, in Haggai chapter 2, God is speaking about end-time events. Now, at the point in time that that this uh, prophecy is given, these words are given to the prophet Haggai, Israel is trying to build the second temple. Now, there were three temples in Israel's history. The first was Solomon's temple. We'll see a little bit about that in one of the scriptures that we'll read later. Um, the second temple is what they're trying to build. Now, when, uh, when Israel disobeyed God, that's when the temple was destroyed. The first temple was destroyed. And then later, after they were coming out of uh, Babylonian captivity, uh, they were attempting to reestablish themselves in their own land and, and rebuild a temple. Now, the, the second temple that they built, the Bible has some interesting things to say about that. It was, it was certainly the will of God that they do so. It was certainly God's plan for them to reestablish the temple, and they reestablished the temple worship and the sacrifice and all the things that go along with it. But there were those older, m- people that were much older, that were alive when the second temple was dedicated that remembered the first temple, Solomon's temple. And it says that they cried because of the condition of the second temple as opposed to or in comparison to the first temple. It, it, it just was nothing. Well, Haggai chapter 2 is during the building of the second temple. Now, we know that whatever, uh, we know what the end result is of the second temple, and that is it doesn't compare to Solomon's, the first temple. So keep that in mind as we read the things that God says about this temple and about the, the uh, uh, well, he's really talking about the church, not about the building itself, but they don't know that at the time. So it says, beginning in verse 7, Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, God says, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. He's talking about end time events. Anybody see any shaking going on in the world now? Now, up until this point in time, up until our present day, what would we think shaking means? We, most probably, we would think there would be earthquakes. We would be thinking in natural terms, because one of the signs Jesus said of the end, was of the end would be there'd be earthquakes in diverse places. So for years and years, the church read this and said, well, shaking all nations, that must mean earthquakes just going, uh, going on all over the world. But look at the economic shaking that's taking place in the world that we live in. See, we've got to be careful that we don't put our own interpretations on the thing God says and miss what he's saying. And that's real easy to do. I've done that. I've had God speak to me individually, personally, about certain things. And I put my own interpretation on it and missed him completely. Then after the fact, I'll see later on, I'll say, oh, well, that's what he was saying. He wasn't talking about what I thought. He was talking about this. I think a lot of people do that with these kinds of scriptures. So he said, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice what Jesus, what, uh, what the Holy Ghost is saying through the prophet Haggai. He says the end result is that the house of God will be filled with glory. Now, as, as I mentioned before, I need to reiterate again, he can't be talking about the second temple. Because the second temple is what the first temple people, the ones that saw the first temple, looked at and said, this is nothing. So he can't be talking about the building itself. So he says, I'll fill this house with glory. If he's not talking about the temple at Jerusalem, what's he talking about? Well, the New Testament tells us that the house of God is the church. So whether they know it or not, God is telling them the temple will be built, it will be rebuilt, but my plan is for the glory to be seen in the church. Can you see that? That's easy to understand, isn't it? Should be if we know anything about history. 
So he says, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, maybe I'll stop for a minute and talk about the desire of all nations shall come. You remember the Bible says in the New Testament, it says the whole earth is groaning and travailing until it receives the appearing of the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, what that's talking about is it's talking about end time stuff. It's talking about the rapture. It's talking about the whole earth is groaning and travailing. The earth is under a curse and the earth is groaning and travailing. There are things that are taking place in creation itself. The inanimate creation itself. Because it has a touch of God. God's the creator. The earth didn't evolve. God created it. And as such, the earth is groaning and travailing. Now why? Because it was not created in sin. It was not created to be dominated by sin. The creation... Anything and everything that God creates, anything and everything that God has a hand in, anything and everything that God touches, rebels against sin. Your spirit rebels against sin. Your flesh, not so much. But your spirit rebels against sin. The earth is rebelling against sin. And as a result, the desire of all nations is to be free, to be lifted from the curse of sin upon the earth. Now, there's a difference between the curse of the law and the curse of sin upon the earth. We know what the curse of the law is. The curse of the law is spiritual death, poverty, and sickness. The curse of sin upon the earth is what God told Adam. He said, from this point forward, you'll have to earn a living by the sweat of your brow. It hasn't brought forth thorns up until this point, but from here on out, it'll bring forth thorns and thistles and other stuff like that. That's the curse that's upon the earth. That's what the earth is rebelling against. That's what the earth is travailing about until a certain point in time comes. What the Bible says that point in time is the manifestation of the sons of God. He's talking about our redeemed bodies. He's talking about the rapture. So the earth is travailing. The earth is, is rebelling against the law of sin and death in the earth. The curse that's upon the earth until the point in time when the rapture comes. And then things change. It becomes a new dispensation from that point on. So this is the, the time frame that he's talking about. These things he's talking about, the, the, I'll fill this house with glory, he's talking about is in relation to the end. It's in relation to the rapture. It's in relation to the closer we get to the end, the closer we get to the rapture, the more and more and more of this we can expect. Get the context? And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, whatever you think about this, whatever you think about prosperity, whatever you think about provision, whatever you think about silver and gold, whatever you think about the, the 99% versus the 1%, whatever you think about any of this stuff that's going on in the earth, please notice God connected silver and gold with glory. Why? Is God worried about running out in heaven? Folks, he's got asphalt that's gold. God uses gold for asphalt. Silver and gold is not necessary in heaven. He's not concerned about it there. He's concerned about it here. Why is he concerned about it here? Because the house that he's going to fill with glory is people. And he knows that it takes money, silver and gold, resources to do the work that needs to be done the closer and closer and closer we get to the end. So for those of you, not those of you, for those who refuse to believe that God has an economic plan for His people in the last days, bless you. My Bible says that He does. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Did you notice He said it's His? 
Why? Because he created it. Did he say it's in his hands? No, because it's not. It's in the hands of the devil, because the devil is the god of this world. The devil took Satan's, uh, took Adam's authority and became the god of this world. And as a result, the silver and gold is in the devil's hands. But that doesn't seem to be where God wants it. According to your faith, be it unto you. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Now, if, if the Jews that are hearing this during the building of the temple, they're thinking, whoa, this is great. That means the second temple is going to have greater glory than the first temple did. But that's not the way it went, is it? I'm sure if I had been alive in that day, I would have thought naturally just like I'm sure they thought. They thought he's talking about the glory of the second temple, the glory of the second house of God that's dedicated to the Lord. That's going to be a greater glory than Solomon's temple, but it wasn't. No record that when the second temple was dedicated, we don't even know about the second temple being dedicated. We don't see any record of the glory of God coming on that place like it did in Solomon's temple. We don't know anything like that. So he must not be talking about the building. Right? The glory of the, the latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Okay. What does that mean then? If he's not talking about the building shall be filled with greater glory, what is he saying? He's saying God's plan for the church at the end was greater than his plan in the beginning when we saw the glory of the Lord in Solomon's temple. That says to me, you decide, you judge this for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You pray about it and, and, and judge it for yourself. You've got the same Holy Ghost I do. But that says to me that God's plan is for the glory of God to increase the closer and closer and closer we get to the end. Otherwise, why is he talking about the end? Why is he talking about things related to the rapture? Why is he talking about the glory? Why is he talking about the gold? Why is he saying it's going to be greater at the end? Folks, God's not trying to keep information from us. He's trying to reveal it to us if we'll dig for it and understand. Amen? But there are several scriptures that the Bible says the whole earth will be filled with his glory. So let's start looking at some of the scriptures. I am by no means going to read all the things that the Bible says about the glory of God. We, we wouldn't have time. Just absolutely wouldn't have time. But I picked and, and, and picked out certain ones, uh, uh, quite a number of them. But I picked out certain scriptures that I want you to see related to the glory of God. Where the Bible says, I will fill this house with glory. It says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. What is he talking about? What does he mean? If we just stop there then you're going to be thinking glory is one thing. I'm thinking glory is something else. How are we going to know? If we don't use the Bible as our definition, how would we know what to look for? So let's use the Bible as our definition. Exodus 29, verse 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. This is the tabernacle in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 and 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter 9, verses 4 and 6. Also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a meat offering mingled with oil, for today the Lord will appear unto you. Verse 6. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded that you should do, and the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. Verse 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 6. 
And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. This is Solomon's temple, the dedication of Solomon's temple. Verse 11. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Isaiah 58, verse 8. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear reward. Isaiah 59, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall rise up a standard against him. Notice in Isaiah 58, it speaks of uh, glory in relation to healing and health and righteousness. In Isaiah 59, it speaks of the glory of the Lord as being a defense against the work of the enemy. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of rain, in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and heard the voice of one that spake. Now, that's the, verse 28 is the end of the first chapter. It goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, to speak of the same things. And he said unto me, the, the rainbow cloud, the glory that appeared like a rainbow. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me on my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. Now, you see many times where the glory of the Lord appears and people can't stand. Here it says the glory of the Lord set him upright. A lot of people get upset when people fall under the power of God. You lay hands on people and people fall. You wait till the glory of God starts setting them up. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Here's the story of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's one we know about in the, the Christmas story. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Luke chapter 9, verse 29 through 34. Well, 29, 30, 31, 32, and 34. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. Here's the transfiguration account again. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, or his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and then when they awake, they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him, while he, that's when Peter says, let's build three tabernacles. While he thus spake, this is verse 34 of Luke chapter 9, 
While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. Here's the story of Stephen. He was called into question uh, about the things of God, later stoned. And he said, men and brethren, here's the beginning of his, uh, of his speech. And he said, men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory. Notice what Stephen calls him. He calls him the God of glory. Appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt at Sharon. But he, verse 55, later on at the end when they start to stone him, it says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Acts chapter 9, here's the story of uh, Paul uh, or Saul on the road to Damascus when he's going to persecute the church. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. Now, what was that light from heaven? Well, he says, Paul's account in Acts chapter 22, verses 6 and 11, he said, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus about noon, that's the brightest part of the day, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Verse 11, And when I could not see for the glory of that light... Being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. See, so many times, so much of the church world thinks, well, after Paul had that vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, that gave him an eye disease. Paul said he couldn't see not because of some disease or some sickness. He said he couldn't see because of the glory of the light. Now, if you took time and went to read the rest of the story there, Paul said in Acts chapter 22 that others that were with him saw the light too, but they didn't hear the voice. Well, that light they saw didn't blind them. Why was Paul blinded? Was it because Paul saw a greater glory? Or was it because God was making the point, here's your opportunity to change your ways or else? Paul's choice determined what's going to happen from there. You remember the story how that Ananias was had, had to be sent to where Paul was so that he could receive his sight. Lay hands on him so he could receive his sight. Finally, we'll end with these. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul said, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. It says Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of God. As he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says it this way. It says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So in Romans chapter 6, he says he's raised by the glory of God. In Romans chapter 8, he says he's raised by the spirit of God. What does that mean? That means they're one and the same. When I first got around Brother Hagin, I started hearing him tell some stories about his own experience. Uh, his experience was that he was uh, he he was born with a uh, he was born at uh, weighing like one pound, born uh, many months premature, and as a result he had all kinds of problems. He had uh, a heart condition. He had blood conditions. He, he, there were all kinds of things in his body that hadn't developed and and uh, and so forth. And and so the doctors gave him virtually no chance to live whatsoever. But he did. He survived through the first first year, which they didn't expect that he would. And then finally the doctors started uh, identifying what some of the problems were. And so they said, well, we've never known anybody in medical science. We've never known anybody to live past 16 years of age in, with anything like your condition. So they pronounced a death sentence, you know, early in his teenage years or mid-teenage years. 
And uh, so Brother Hagin said that uh, the point in time came, he was 15 years old, and just before his 16th birthday, and he, he, um, uh, he became bedfast, became too weak, his, his blood wasn't, the uh, heart wasn't pumping the blood through his body the way it should, and, and so forth. And so there, was, uh, uh, there were many times where he was right at the point of death, but there was one time where he, he told the story about where he died. And the story was how that uh, he was conscious of his spirit leaving his body, and he he, um, uh, he was caught up into a cloud. And when he was caught up into a cloud, he heard what he believed was the voice of the Lord saying in the English language, go back, go back to the earth, first time. Second time, go back, go back to the earth. Third time, he said it a little different. He said, go back, go back to the earth. Your work's not done yet. Well, when he came back into his body, he said, I saw my grandmother, uh, or my mother, rather, by the side of my bed, she was patting my hand. She was distraught because, you know, to all appearances, he was dead, and he was. But he said, I, I came back into the room. He said, I saw my mother there by the bed. He said, I'm standing on the other side of the bed just watching everything like it's a, on a TV screen. He said, and then all of a sudden, my spirit leaked back into my body through my mouth, through his mouth. He said, as, uh, as you would put your foot in a shoe. And uh, he said, then when I, was, uh, when I was back within my spirit, was back in my body, he said that I told my mom, he said, Mom, I'm not going to die now. Well, she thought he meant I'm not going to die this minute. He meant I'm not going to die now. I've got to finish a work for God. And he lived, you know, until he was uh, just before his 87th birthday. And, uh, and as a result, uh, he said that it was a real sacred thing. He said he would tell a little bit about the story and use a little bit about the experience when he was telling about the difference between uh, you know, talking about the, the human spirit or believing with the heart or some things like that. He'd tell just little bits and pieces. He said, but it was, it was too sacred a, uh, an experience for him. He, he just didn't feel like it was right to tell about it. And he said it was some 20 years later that the Lord spoke to him. He was well into his ministry then, and, and uh, the Lord spoke to him, and he said, you need to tell the story. So he did, and he had a radio program at the time, a little local radio station there in uh, uh, the part of Texas where his family still lived. And so he told the story about what had happened to him, and, uh, and he came back home after, I don't know, a month or so, being out on the road and doing meetings in different churches or whatever it was. And, and, uh, and his, his mother said to him, uh, son, I heard you tell your story on the, on the radio about when you died. He said, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, I, I felt impressed of the Lord to start telling the story. And she said, well, let me tell you my side of it. Now, it's been 20 years, and they'd never even talked about this. And so she said, let me tell you my side. She said, Pat, that was his youngest brother, was with you. He came running in to the kitchen where uh, Brother Hagin's mother and grandmother was. They were living with, her, with uh, his grandparents on his mother's side. And uh, he said, Pat came running in and said, Mama, Mama, Ken's dying. She said, so I went running towards your room. She said, I was the first one out of the kitchen running toward the room. She said, when I got to the, to the door of your bedroom, she said, I looked, and I could not see into the room. All I could see was a cloud. Did you notice how many times the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord appearing like a cloud? She said it was like a white cloud or a fog that was in the room. She said, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see any furniture. I couldn't see anything except the white cloud. She said, and I'm running as fast as I can to go into the room. She said, I hit that white cloud and bounced off of it. Did you notice how many times it says the priest couldn't enter because of the cloud? See, we put our own thinking and our own interpretation about what that means. Well, what does that mean? Well, if they couldn't enter, that means they couldn't get in. Well, she's saying she couldn't get in. She said, it, it stunned me. It didn't hurt, but she said, it stunned me. And she said, I recognized, I sensed the presence of God here. Well, about that time, Granny, her mother, 
Brother Hagin's grandmother, comes running. She's got a full head of steam up. She gets to the door and, and tries to bust into this thing, and she bounces off. And as she bounces off, it knocked her back, and she grabbed hold of some piece of furniture or something to steady herself. And she said, Lily, Lily, that's Brother Hagin's mother's name. She said, Lily, I can't see into the room. Well, Brother Hagin's mom, Lily, was standing there praying silently, praying quietly to herself. She sensed the presence of God. But Granny wasn't going to have any of that. So Granny took another run. She bounced off the second time. She comes back and says the same thing. She says, I can't see him. Well, this time she backed up all the way across the dining room. She's going to get a run at the big head of steam. This is his mother. This is Brother Hagin's mother telling him all this, how this, how this went. She bounced off the third time and was so overcome when she hit it the third time that she had to grab hold of a chair or something that was close by to keep from falling on her face in the middle of the floor. Well, that was it for Granny. She was done. Do you notice how many times people came in contact with the glory of God and they fell? See, again, we put our own interpretation about that. Or maybe we'll judge that by some experience that we've had. Maybe we'll see somebody lay hands on someone and then fall in the Spirit and they think, well, that's all there is to the power of God. That's all there is to the glory of God. Listen, folks, the glory of God is a very real thing. And when the glory of God comes in contact with flesh... In great manifestation, now there are lesser and greater manifestations of the glory of God, but when the glory of God is in great manifestation, you just try to keep on your feet. You think you're going to show God something? It's not the way it works. So anyway, Brother Hagin said that his mother told him the story about how that, that after, she said it was about ten minutes. Now here's one thing that she said. She said, well, when you told the story, you made it seem like you were gone for just a few seconds. And he said, well, yeah, Mom, that's the way it seemed to me. <laughs> it's not like I had a watch. That's the way it seemed to me. She said, well, let me tell you the story. And as she related the story, it was 10 minutes before that fog started to lift. She said, finally, it began to dissipate, not disappeared, but all of a sudden it began to lighten up. You ever seen fog in the morning and then as the sun starts to come up, it gets less and less and less and you can see a little bit more through it? Well, that's apparently the way it was with this. And so she said, I can, she started talking to her mom, say, mom, I can see the dresser now. It was close to the door. Now I can see the bed. Now I can see Ken on the bed. Finally, when it was all gone, they could get in, but not before. And that's when she was standing there next to or kneeling down next to his bedside, and he said to her, Mama, I'm not going to die now. Well, I heard things like that, and I thought, wow, my goodness gracious. Who knew that people would have experiences like that? And, and, and from my heart... I accepted it because I saw certain things in the Bible, and Brother Hagin will always prove what he was saying by the Bible. You've got to be careful about people's experiences because you can have any kind of experience, and sometimes it might be God, and sometimes it might be because you ate the wrong thing too late at night. You can't just judge somebody's experience or somebody's dream or somebody's vision or anything else like that. If it, if it bears witness to what the Bible already says, then you can accept the experience. But if it doesn't, throw it away. Now, what I mean by that is you can consider it, you can think on it, you can put it on a shelf, but don't let it guide you. The Bible says that the glory of the last day church will be greater than of the former. That means the glory of the last day church will be greater than what we see demonstrated in the early days of the church in the book of Acts. God's got a great plan for you and me in these last days. Come join us at Foothill Family Church and let's grow into who God wants us to be. 
Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.